I decide, I claim my sovereignty, and I upgrade my operating system into us because it's just the only way that I'm going to be sustainably successful. And that's a that's a really that's a hard struggle for a lot of people because that individuality, you know, is not only being reinforced externally. Every time that we wake up and we open whatever your social media of choice is, it's, you know, am I successful? Am I being validated? Am I, you know, getting likes and ads and all of that? So we're, you know, we're driven. Uh, we're, and we're being driven by society into marginalization. Uh, however, we have to keep the um, really intentional practice of recommitting and reconnecting to each other. Welcome to the Healer Dealer Podcast. This is an invitation to be inspired, get curious, expand and empower your own gifts through conversations with the modern healers of our time. The only way to heal ourselves is to deal with it. I'm your Healer Dealer, Diana Zalicki. So excited you're here, let's get started. Philip Folsom is an anthropologist, culture development expert, veteran, and CEO of Wolf Tribe. He is also the co-founder of Valor Resiliency Programs, a critically acclaimed PTSD prevention program for warriors and co-founder of K4, a leadership and resiliency community for men. Philip is known for his unique tribe workshop that focuses on the primary culture components of building healthy and high-performing teams. His work regularly includes innovative adventure programming, such as vision quests, caving, high ropes challenge courses, zen archery, and workshops with real horses and wolves. Philip Folsom's reputation in the team development world is legendary. His in-person events and seminars have dramatically improved the lives of over 500,000 people. His current clients include Microsoft, Apple, Snapchat, Fox Pictures, and SpaceX, and so much more. I love this conversation we had. We dug deep into the connections of humans and wolves and the narratives that defined us, pride-built cultures, talking all about kinship, collaboration, adaptability, why play is so important, and a big one, which I'm just giving a little heads up, maybe a little triggering, we go into the patriarchy. We really talk about what it really is. And then also why men are the problem, but also the solution. I think this is such an important conversation. I love what Philip's doing for men in the world. I feel like he is creating such a beautiful space for men's initiation, men's healing. I really think that this is such a great, inspiring conversation. So many amazing nuggets. Literally, I was re-listening to it and I got so excited because there's so many things we can apply to ourselves to better ourselves and also really think about how are we going to move forward in the new world together? All right, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey friends, I am super excited to tell you about Guella app. It is all about finding your healer and finding yourself. It is an app that connects healers and humans. I am so excited about this. Literally anywhere you are in the world, you can check out all these different healing modalities and get connected to a healer that is perfect for you. No more searching and searching and searching for who to talk to, who to go to. This app takes out all that work. You know, you can order anything between like food or a card. Now anything online on an app that has not existed before ever in the world for healers. Now it's here. It's called Wella App. And what I love is the story behind it. It is literally created by these three siblings and with their Celtic roots, the word Gwella literally means to improve or get better. So literally these three siblings have worked together to create an app 
to fill a void of something that did not exist, which is connecting humans and healers. And now they've done it. I highly recommend it. There is Epic Healers on there and it is such a beautiful platform. So I advise you to check it out and download it immediately. You can also follow them on Instagram at GetGuella and check out their website at GetGuella.com. We've had a year like no other. All of us are looking at our current healthcare system and how powerless we often felt about getting the medical help we needed. What about you? Has the current state of the world left you feeling disempowered over your health and the health of those you love? Have you ever experienced a physical issue like inflammation, PMS, a sore stomach, knee pain from working out, you name it, and wish that you had some tool or process to quickly and effectively heal yourself so that you didn't have to take a pill or wait a few days to see a healthcare provider? What if you could alleviate emotional stress or physically heal somebody you love who lived thousands of miles from you? How would that feel? How would that change your life and those you love? The time has come where we need to look out for one another, to shift how we heal our bodies, and to build a network of healers across the world to help empower ourselves and those we love. Dr. Amanda Cohen and Reiki master teacher Jen Kosh are inviting you to learn a new way of medicine, an intuitive medical modality that bridges Reiki, acupuncture, and the meridians, and it's called High Priestess Healing. Training starts February 2021. Come be a part of the paradigm shift in medicine. No previous experience needed. Go to sourcepointwellness.com, click above High Priestess Healing to learn more. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity and you have no previous experience needed. There is a $200 discount and a payment plan there for you. Put in the code Healer Dealer at checkout. You guys, this is going to change your life. I've been witness to the creation of this program from the very beginning. I have experienced what High Priestess Healing does. I have seen this is a new way. It is going to be the way. Come join. Be a part of the new world we're building. Be a part of the paradigm shift in medicine and learn how to heal yourself and those that you love. What if now is the time to call forth the High Priestess. Visit sourcepointwellness.com, High Priestess Healing, for $200 off. Put in the code Healer Dealer. So, so excited to have you on. I am so just grateful for the work that you're doing out in the world. I was lucky enough to take one of your uh, four-week workshops. Um, I mean, it was just really, really amazing. I love being connected with you and all the wisdom that you have to share and your wisdom in teaching and guiding those spreads through so many different modalities of connection and helping people ground that into their lives on such a deeper level. Um, I don't even think everybody's quite aware of it until they fully integrated it. So just to take a step back, because everybody that's listening to this podcast loves magical beings. Um, they love spirit animals and one really powerful animal, power animal that I know a lot of people are fans of is the wolf. So can you mm. talk about the importance of being, you know, wolves and people and how are they connected? Yeah, this, we could spend our whole time just talking about this because it's so awesome. And it's a, just a treat being hanging out with you again. So your energy is just infectious and transformational. You're, you're a uh, spotlight in oh, the world. <laughs> so it was always, and for the your listeners, you know, we, we did a workshop together 
And, you know, you're one of the people that I could always count on to, you know, spark a conversation. And that is the role of the queen archetype, right? You're the one that's visionary, you're innovative, you're the, you know, you're the battery of the bus, right? And of course, uh, we, well, we also talked about the shadow that that gold is mined in, right? Of distraction and inadequacy, and there's a bunch of other stuff, but Boy, your energy is super powerful, and I appreciate um, being part of your kingdom today with all oh of gosh, your thank listeners. You. I yeah. love it. Uh. <laughs> and, and the gold that I will bring as an offering to you and your kingdom today is uh, whatever knowledge, information, wisdom about anthropology and culture and tribe, and also just from an alliance perspective, because we talked about how important allies are in our journey, is from my kingdom's Right. And uh, and I'm really I do a lot of work with uh, men and our healing process and our our hero's journey and how we can go from prince to king. And so that is part of the alliance that I certainly offer you and your um, your followers, people watching this. We have been um, we've been framed so often as um, adversaries. And for one of us to win, the other must lose. And that's that's a terrible um, angle of approach on this conversation that is literally, literally hundreds of thousands of years old is that you know we have been partnering together in a pack with collaborative reciprocal aligned journeys of survival and thriving and so obviously we're recording this on our election day and so this is a very loud one for a lot of us who have been um, so marginalized. And boy, when we spend too much time apart and we, we stop the kinship connection, then we become resentful and then we become contemptuous. And boy, there's got to be a time to come together, which is really the lesson of the wolves, just to bring it full circle. Um, we took many things that were absolutely transcendent and transformational from that species and, um, but certainly the big one is we're nothing without each other. And this echoes through every single story and theme and conversation in our species is that we need each other. Uh, as an individual member of this species, we are inadequate. We're uh, crippled by anxiety and self-doubt and, you know, all of those things that hamstring us. But together, we can, we can and have transformed the planet. So that's the wolves. Um, I, I love that. And something that I just want to tie back in is something that you keep mentioning in your um, groups is the importance of rewording how we're moving forward right now, as far as not social distancing, we are physical distancing. Yeah. And um, I think that, I mean, that's such an important reminder for all of us because it's like just to tie back into wolves being super social and, um, there was something you brought up and it was so gold. And of course I've like the highlighter in my mind, can't think of it right this minute, but you were talking about, um, you know, like historically, like, like how we are so similar to the wolves outside of storytelling the connection. Well, our, our connection with the wolf was our, is our first interspecies partner. And it happened 35,000 years ago when uh, we had what's called our cognitive revolution. And just to cite my sources and, you know, and share the gold forward, 
Um, I got that term, cognitive revolution, from uh, Harari, who's the author of the book Sapiens. And I got the idea of physical distancing, not social distancing, from a great friend of mine who does a lot of um, um, coaching work named Sam Morris or the Zen Warrior. He's another really cool guy that would be good on this podcast. So um, anyway, at 35,000 years ago, we went from low-level scavenger with absolutely no or very little symbolic thinking, very little in terms of our um, cultural system, ritual burials and, and big expressive things that we know of ourselves as an innovative species. We didn't have hardly any of that until that 35,000 year mark when all of a sudden we see this giant explosion of what we think of as core human behavior. And uh, that magical moment in time is, you know, debated right now of, you know, did we get into some psychotropic plants? Did we, like, was there, was there the monolith dropped from space and aliens? And uh, like, there's a whole bunch of different ideas about what happened at that point in time. Is this an echo of a destroyed earlier civilization? However, the one thing that we do know is that we behaviorally have the most similarity with, when you look at all the, the species on the planet, not with the primates, but with the wolf. We have the most cultural similarities. And obviously they're radically different in terms of you know, their behavior. They belong to a completely different um, kingdom, right? A philia of, of, of animals. And, um, but we started partnering with them and they became our dogs. That divergent path from wolf to dog happened genetically at 35,000 years. It's also when we see our first ivory carvings. It's when we see our, our first, you know, there was a magical thing that happened at that moment in history. And what we took from, you know, those animals were the things that define us as our species today. We have those four archetypes of behavior, which you, know, you and I both studied, which is why you're the queen and I'm more of a warrior. And so we're designed to have specialization within our tribes, within our families and our workplaces, our communities. And what that does is it allows us to um, versatility or diversity of behavior within our tribe, but more importantly, it gives us adaptability. And evolution is not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the most adaptable. Okay. So for you as individuals who are sorting through this crazy COVID time and social upheaval and you know, what's, what's gonna happen next? Okay, be like a wolf. And, and it doesn't mean that you individually have to be so adaptable, but you get connected to a um, locked in reciprocal collaborative group of people that can all share your specialist, your strengths. Like you need your sorceress. You need those people because they weaponize you so you can create your kingdom. Like, can you just, go over really quick the, um, just really briefly, the four different archetypes yeah. for our listeners? And, and I'll, I'll give you the wolf version first very quickly. So okay. um, most animals, like you have a simple um, one, um, one direction of hierarchy from low power to high power. And that's how that works. Lions, elephants, elk, wolves, they have had a different axis of um, psychological priorities, if you will. Uh, and it's an evolutionary defined axis. So we have power, but we also have connection. Those two axes 
give you four different roles or behaviors within a wolf pack. And they very simply are, you have your alpha, which is usually a female, then, and they're, they're the kind of archetypal visionary leader. Um, uh, they form consensus. They, they, they provide guidance, a North Star, something that's visionary. Then you have your warrior wolves. And these are the ones that they're big, aggressive, assertive. They're focused on defense and offense. They're the ones that are going to go in first when you're hunting, right? Well, I'm gonna, I'll back that off. They're going to go in first when you're killing, okay? And there's a big difference between hunting and killing, which would be interesting to talk about. Um, then you have your specialist wolves, and these are the, the scent hunters. They're the sight hunters. They're the, they're the ones that actually train the other wolves on strategy, and they do that. Wolves actually have 30% larger brains, a full range of emotions. Like when you get to go see the wolves, you realize, oh my God, they're, she's embarrassed right now because she made a mistake. And she can, you're in, she's acting it out on that other wolf. Like they have, so that, that's what you would call the, the magician or the sorceress wolf. It's a specialist role. And then you've got what's called a nanny wolf. And the nannies are hand chosen by the alpha and they don't even hunt. They stay home and protect the cubs and train the cubs. So those are the four different roles that allow the wolves to have a leader in the appropriate um, arena. So when it's time to hunt, then you see your sight hunters and your fast ones and your good trackers. When it's time to kill, boom, then it's time for, you know, the warrior wolves. When it's time to nurture and heal, then it's time for the nanny wolves. So that gives wolves adaptability, which is why they're spread over uh, the widest range of any animal on planet earth until us. So we have the same thing, except they're called the sovereign, which is the king or the queen, right? That's you, you're that kind of visionary, big picture synergy person. You have our warriors, that's me, and I'm decisive, I'm linear, I make uh, declarations, and this is me doing me right now. And then we have our sorceress magician wolves or, or people who are the ones who are analytical, they're focused on structure, process, procedure. And then we have our lover archetype, which is the relationship, emotional, uh, empathy, compassion. And we're built from a tribal context to have these four roles of behavior that we drop into and then develop throughout our lives. And it allows us to be rich and versatile and most importantly, adaptable. So that's I a, that so much. Um, yeah. It's something I want to uh, take a step back at. I thank you for going over those for our listeners. I know it's not foreign to them, but I think just for the context of what we're speaking of, that was really, really helpful. Can you talk about, um, is there a difference between, you know, kinship and collaboration, true collaboration? Mm. Uh, kinship is a map of our relationships that we have with each other. And obviously kin is the root of the word kind. So when we want more kindness in the world, then we develop our kinship. And we're a kinship-based species. Like we are designed from, when you look at our in, the indigenous tribal systems, well, it's, it's basically a massive extended family, right? And, and that's what makes us feel like we're a part of something larger than ourselves. And collaboration is a central part of that. And that collaboration 
is also comes from a shared culture, right? Which is your, what is the, you know, your shared why, your shared what and your how. All of those pieces that we're born into and that if we do really share those and collaborate on that foundation of kinship, I no longer look at you as that's just Diana or whoever is watching this right now. You are an extension of myself. You are part of me. And in most indigenous cultures, the language, uh, there is no possessive uh, uh, version of words because that would imply that I'm different than you and my things are different than you. And in many cultures, when, when you look at the word for children, there is no word for my children. There's only the children, which is really, that's kinship. It's, it's if you see a member of your tribe's child, it's your duty, responsibility, and obvious um, action item to take care of that kid, even if you have to discipline or support. Like we, and that's how we're designed to be. And where it falls apart is we cap out at about 100. 100 people that we can maintain that level of intimacy. And so for all of you who are living where you are now, uh, you probably don't know the names of your neighbors. Right. I mean, that's, that's just the reality in most big cities is we've had to surrender kinship just out of practicality. And what's that done is that shifted our kinship based operating system, which is based on honor. Honor is a relationship based. We've gone to pride, which is me centric. And this is obviously the beginning of the great divide that we're experiencing today on our election day. Oh, thank you so much. That's such a great reminder um, for everybody because I think, you know, the regardless of whichever way people swing, whichever way they feel more connected to as far as beliefs, it's like the it's like how divided we are, and to remind ourselves that we really are each other, and how you know can we actually collaborate with each other despite our differences, despite, you know, to build something new together. Um, and as far as talking about building together, can you talk a little bit about um, this archetypal work within our, within the humans, within the wolves, and how that connects? I just want to touch on lightly, like how that connects to the work you do for these huge organizations, because I really feel like that is helping guide the future towards um, you know, conscious capitalism. Yeah. There was, you know, there's been different driving uh, priorities during different eras and they're coming faster and faster now, which is part of adaptability. One of the reasons why that is such a survival protocol for all of us is uh, we don't have time to rest on the laurels um, of, you know, the, the, our, our parents because we're a different generation and now it's even happening at a cadence that is um, incredibly fast, realizing how fast we're, we're, we're changing with all these different social issues that are coming up. So um, adaptability is really, really important with all of that. And um, we absolutely need to recognize that there, you know, there is an, an an absolute need to be doing this together. And the word I wanted to share with you is uh, Ubuntu, which is one of these sort of universal words through a lot of Africa. And it means I am because we are. And that's a 
then they actually use that word a lot and it's and it sits at the core of all of our kind of honor-based cultures um is we you know if you're part of sports if you've ever been part of a sorority or a really a high performing team this is central to us being successful on a sustainable path and so um a lot of my work is recognizing that we have all been indoctrinated in a pride-based culture. We've all been taught to keep our eyes on our own paper, be self-reliant, be independent. And that's how we've been indoctrinated to survive in this culture where the currency of our culture is self and money and prestige and power and all of these, all of these dynamics. But the moment you get into, um, I'll call it playing pro, as soon as you go pro, whether that be sports or business or family, the moment you go, all right, we're married, we're gonna start playing pro like grownups. Now, all of a sudden, all that individuality, you realize, ooh, they've, they have um, crippled me because now it's no longer about how good I can be. It's always about how good we can be, 100% across the board. So there's this 90 degree pivot that people make when they get into management or they get into being an adult where you go, ah, now I have to surrender this story of me being so important. And that's a story that it has to die. That D and the word D side contains the root, you know, of homicide and suicide. It means to cut or kill. So I decide, I claim my sovereignty and I upgrade my operating system into us because it's just the only way that I'm going to be sustainably successful. And that's a, that's a really, that's a hard struggle for a lot of people because that individuality, you know, is not only being reinforced externally, every time that we wake up and we open whatever your social media of choice is, it's, you know, am I successful? Am I being validated? Am I, you know, getting likes and ads and all of that. So we're, you know, we're driven. Uh, we're, and we're being driven by society into marginalization. Uh, however, we have to keep the um, really intentional practice of recommitting and reconnecting to each other. And the difference between practice and habit is incredibly important. Habits are just efficiency and they're the as is. Practices are based on growth and they're always hard. And that's the journey that we're on. Oh, I love that so much. And this really just goes right into, I feel, the work that you're doing with men. Um, you and I had spoke before about, um, I expressed how I really don't feel like there are a lot of resources out there for men to feel supported. Um, and I really loved, you know, talking about a pride built culture. How do you feel pride built culture has fed into the way men feel they're supposed to behave and act and how you're seeing that now with, um, you know, men's healing? Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Ooh, that's a, that's a kettle of fish right there. Men, men's work. Uh, Couple of things about men's work, and we'll, we'll just see where this where this lands. But again, we could spend another hour on this or another week. Um, men are different than women in many many different ways, and we have a tendency just to go, "Well, you know, we're all really the same." It's like, mm, well, we are and we aren't. Um, and this is 
not just an opinion, like for the people who are legitimate clinicians, academics who study sociology and gender roles and things, it's different. Like there, we are different on assertiveness and compassion and verbal skills. And like there's, there is a difference between, uh, and it's not just socializing, like, you know, and it, it's, that's pretty well accepted in scientific community. And one of the things that you guys do really well is that you maintain your relationships. Um, my, you know, my wife spends long times on, you know, on the phone, just reconnecting and, and, and it's just one of those, you can call it mirror neurons or compassion or empathy or whatever, but you seem to be doing a, a really, at least better job than men. Men, we will go lone wolf at the drop of a hat. The moment the job's over, the moment we're not hunting, the moment we have no, nothing that links us together on a mission, we're lone wolves. And lone wolves um, die. That they, they don't exist. There is no such a thing as a lone wolf. And when I see men at the gym, you know, who are wearing a lone wolf t-shirt or at, as a sort of this marker of pride, they've identified with like, I'm a lone wolf. And it's just, I, I kind of get a really sad chuckle out of it. Cause it's just like, that. yo, you're, you're starving to death. I mean, that's really what lone wolves do because wolves and men and women, but we're talking about men, um, we're built to, to hunt big things. We don't hunt rabbits. Wolves don't hunt rabbits and, and neither do men. Like we are fulfilled by doing big projects, leaving a legacy, winning a championship. Like we want to do big things that are heroic and, you know, epic. And that's what activates us and it inspires us. It's purpose, meaning, service, fulfillment, heroic deeds. And we can't do any of those things alone. That's just the reality of our species. We're not built to be, we're not tigers. We're pack animals. So uh, men require a medium through which our energy travels. And energy cannot travel through a vacuum. Um, this is a little, um, it's a visual aid, but you know, this is one of these bottles that um, will keep hot things hot and cold things cold. And how that works is there's in between the two walls of this, of the, this metal thermos, there is a vacuum. They suck all the air out. And because there's a vacuum, energy cannot travel. So it doesn't lose heat or lose cold. And the more perfect of a vacuum, the better insulation you have with these things. Societies like that, or particularly male society, when we have no connection of culture or mission, or the hunt, or whatever you want to call it, we immediately stop our exchange of energy, our friendships, our vulnerability, our intimacy, and so we we shatter immediately. And this is the thing that's driving um, clinical anxiety, depression, and suicide with men. So really, really, I, I, I just want to hammer this really, really heavily. Um, Suicide is the number one cause of, uh, er, of early death in men over the age of 40. The number one cause of death. And it's connected to stress, right? Which comes from cortisol, inflammation. Like it's literally killing us. Male suicide is up almost 40% in the last 10 years. Suicide is the number one cause of on the duty death for police and, and fire. 
there's a there since 9/11 we've lost over 150,000 uh, male veterans to suicide. So like it's a it's a legitimate um, epic scary thing, and, and it and it dwarfs the majority of the the red herrings that we're running after societally, even in this election. So men need to have this kinship based thing and it's what elevates us it's really really important conversation um it's because men are the problem and men are also the solution men are the problem like they it, all the ills of society have been heaped at our feet and and it's and we deserve it and when you look at wars and environmental destruction and um many of the societal suffering that we're experiencing it's us but at the same time you blame us you have to give credit because we built the world like men are the problem we're also the solution well um, i'm just hearing also this mirror back to um and i'm just wanting to connect this back to my audience listening um you know when just earlier this year discussions about a white supremacy it's like not going to be you know <laughs> black and brown folks dismantling white supremacy it's going to be white folks dismantling white supremacy i'm just mm -hmm. like giving that as a little mirror all so of it like, you know it's all taking responsibility but also acknowledging uh, where that work is being done mm -hmm. now um something that i would just want to touch on and i can do links in the show notes you do have a program so if somebody is listening and their partner that they're maybe working with more than you know being their significant other and they need that you know kinship you have a group that's starting in the new year that can provide that space don't you yep yep uh, uh, my men's group is k4men.com pretty easy to remember right uh k4men.com and the k4 stands for king of the four houses and they've talked about those four archetypes so we don't believe that uh, it's that it's um, enough just to identify with a particular um, archetype or house. We believe that um, men have a responsibility to be not just good or powerful, which is the options that society is currently giving us. Like you can be a good man, but you're going to be this anemic little nice guy pleaser. And I know you know those guys very well, right? You're probably hanging out with them and no, been really no. frustrated like oh why don't you just or you become the bad guy right like i'm powerful but you know it's okay if i run over people because that's what i do and they're all weak and they deserve it it's like ooh. so i'm either i i have this binary choice of i get to be either good or powerful and that has never been um the the solution through the history of humanity there has always been a heroic ideal which is good and powerful which is obviously what we all want to be it's what you want to hang out with and like where are those dudes and so those to become good and powerful you become king of the four houses and you start addressing those pieces and and psychologically it's moving from an adolescent psychology to a mature psychology you become you're moving from being a prince to being a king and the princes are the ones who are wrecking the world. The kings are the ones that are going to heal the world. And uh, I would love to share about how that works, but um, I know that that 
Are we ready to dive into a male initiation? You want to yeah, do that? I, I think I think this is an important conversation I have, and I think it's going to bring a lot of insight. So I, I just go, get in it, do it. Okay. So here's another difference between male and female. So okay, not only are you better at relationships, but you have a tendency to self-initiate, which means, you know, you start to menstruate, you um, you learn things better, you tend to teach each other, you learn quicker. Um, it happens earlier. For you, like you go through this process of going from an adolescent psychology into a mature psychology, and I'm not going to say it's automatic because obviously there's a you know a lot of struggles during that process. But with men, it never happens unless we are externally initiated. Like we need to be taken into the woods and have the boy killed, and it's terrible. And then the man is born which means you go, oh, you are no longer do childish things. But like, you're a man now, you don't play video games. Like, oh, wow, nobody ever told me that. Well, yeah, that's that's because you didn't have the uncles who, you know, have taught you around the fire for the last 10 years, the ways of men in your tribe and demonstrated it with the way they hunt and the way they resolve conflict and the way they celebrate. And then when it's time for you to now join the men it's a sacred process and you are ritually killed. You're scarred, you are marked, and, it, and that's the boy being killed. And so psychologically, how the sequence works, and I guess practically and tactically, is um, women, females have always raised the young. And it's one of the things that um, obviously we're built to do in terms of the um, diversity of our behavior in, in our species. This is the partnership is males do certain things and most, and usually it's extra tribal in most indigenous cultures. We're doing exploration, travel, hunting, war, outside things. And traditionally women are running uh, the inner tribal decision-making resource management, um, socializing decision-making stuff. That's why it's, not purely matriarchal, but most of the inner tribal decision-making is matriarchal. Um, which, and it's very interesting when you look at other species that are inherently herd or pack animals, they're almost universally matriarchal. Um, you know, elephants, horses, wolves, like there's a, um, hyenas, there's a huge slew of pack animals that are matriarchal because they seem to have a tremendous uh, ability to do collaborative decision making much better than males, and we're good at uh, certain other things. Anyway, I, back I to initiation. I, sorry, I, I want to go, go back to initiation, but I have a quick question that popped okay. up. So, you know, this conversation that people are having as far as like we've been in a patriarchal society mm -hmm. and now we're moving back into matriarchal society, and you know as we're in that growth of this new era, that's when we find the most resistance of things coming to the surface. Would you mm -hmm. relate the pains of what everybody would identify as a patriarchal society directly correlating to the young boy that never died, that never was initiated, that the, the shadow of what we recognize as patriarchal society that has caused a lot of pain for the collective is completely rooted back on them not being initiated. Absolutely. Um, so yes, patriarchy um, is caused a lot of pain. It has also caused all of the greatness in our world. 
and this may, that may just piss a bunch of you or your your listeners off. But it, the fact that you have running water that comes out of the whole, you know the faucet, that you have heat, that you're not getting eaten by tigers, the fact that war, plague, famine, that you have food in your in your you know in your fridge, thanks patriarchy, nice job, way to tame all of the things that legitimately threatened our 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 life, and that and so patriarchy is awesome. And now patriarchy is also the thing that gave us the destruction of our rainforests, war, rape, the disaster of humanity also, which is why I say, if you're going to give us the blame, give us the credit. Well, I was, yeah, absolutely agree. But I also am bringing that up just to put things in perspective to what you're talking about as far as Mm -hmm. initiation. I mean, what you're saying now just completely mirrors back to what you're saying, you know, about, you know, men are to blame and also, you know, to be celebrated. I think I don't feel anything as finite, but I just wanted to, for our listeners, because I feel like the, the word patriarchy is one that stings for a lot of people in this time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to give them another viewpoint of like, if you can reframe the way you look at it Mm -hmm. as, you know, a piece of our collective that has never been healed because it was never initiated for that part, not talking about the you know, yes, there, and I think that was a really good reminder too of re-looking at the duality of what it represents, not just this one thing that has been the main conversation over the last few years. Yeah, so there's um, two two big pieces of this. Um, where what they call classical patriarchy began is is uh, most relevantly in the rise of agriculture. So we're a hunter and gatherer species we have been for a quarter of a million years agriculture came on the scene um it's actually before the whole uh, mesopotamia tigris euphrates cradle of civilization actually happened in this valley and it's being pushed older and older and older but it's looking like probably ten thousand years is when we got agriculture where it's like holy cow we have more food than we need for the first time in our history we're not worried about starving tomorrow. Like that terrifying dragon, uh, we beat. We, we won that one. And the moment when we started having more resources than we need, we could become sedentary. Now you have to start defending your resources. And when we had this beautiful gender balance you know, between matriarchy and patriarchy, where we all had, we had different, very collaborative and reciprocal roles, all of a sudden, uh, the male role, which is to protect, provide, preside, became louder. It became more um, relevant. It, became, it, it strategically got elevated. And now all of a sudden, women are no longer an equal in terms of what they're, they're providing to the relationship. Because males are defending. Like, we become absolutely central in... in in the power structure and that was that was a disservice to all of us at some point because it really opened pandora's box to all the disaster that we've had from that point so that's the first just kind of historical anchor of patriarchy the um, solution to this is the healthy healing generative what they call the zeus energy robert bly um, Zeus energy is where uh, you're not just this, this 
monstrous warmongering rapist who wants to subjugate women. You're like, no, the Zeus energy is creative. It's benevolent. It's generative. It's the one that brings the gold. It's like, we need more Zeus energy, not Mars energy, not a bunch of other different forms of masculine expression. And that Zeus energy is the king, or, and I don't mean the prince king. I'm, uh, the, the currency, like the money, the value that the prince has is external validation and that power. So desperately, and most of the uninitiated men, and that's just about all the men you know, we're, we've all been uninitiated. So we all have this little inadequacy story because we're little boys underneath the hood of all this bravado and masculinity. And we're desperately looking for um, validation externally. And that's why we are constantly needing, um, you know, cooler cars and more followers. And, you know, it, it's just behind porn and addiction and isolation. So the initiation process uh, is taking boys from their mother's house to their father's house. Women raise boys. And the, the, the primary thing that you're doing with boys is, number one, you're domesticating those little savages. Because, you know, if you've ever been around a little boy, they're horrible. They're just killing things and wrecking things, drawing on the walls, punching each other. Like, they're little monkeys. So, number one, okay, you got to take this little ape and you got to domesticate them so that they can be part of our tribe. Thank you very much. Number two, um, little boys will jump off a cliff. I mean, we're stupid. We'll, we'll hunt things. We'll do... We'll, we'll have like legitimate bow and arrow fights and throw dirt clods with rocks in them at each other. So the second thing that mothers do is they go, don't kill each other and don't kill yourself, you little savages. And that's all, like, we need that to happen. However, um, that operating system that the women installed, it um, doesn't take you to service. It doesn't take you to greatness. It doesn't take you to your real role ultimately in the tribe which is to um, surrender your own journey and validation and needs, and now start dealing with the currency of the kingdom. This is vastly larger than the currency of external validation. And that process of moving from your mother's house to your father's house um, requires you know, an installation of a masculine uh, operating system. And it hasn't happened because our dads are at work. And when they come home from work, they're tired and they're grumpy and they're processing their own trauma from the day. And I don't even know what my dad does, right, as a young man. And I don't, under, I don't see how he expresses his masculinity because my mom's raising me. And so eventually, you know, I go off to college and, I, and I'm around other um, uninitiated adolescent princes and they might be 60 year old bosses who are adolescent uninitiated princes so the journey of reclaiming um, the healthy masculine and and reframing patriarchy is not like a negative i use i i uh, the world uses patriarchy as a um the word patriarchy as a um a derogatory it's not just like when you say matriarchy it's not it's not a negative it's just it is and so it, how could people that i think that's such a good point so such such a good point so would you say um 
you know, I, and I just love to give our listeners our, you know, tools to try on. So instead of saying like patriarchy is bad, it's just like toxic masculinity. Is that a better frame to, you know, if they're talking about that? It would be like saying feminism is bad. And there are, there are, there are groups who say, you know, who, who use that as a derogatory. Okay, Ugh, this is such a good conversation. Femin- I'm just going to right now, our listeners, <laughs> if you're triggered by anything we're talking about, this is a really great opportunity yeah. to look inward and journal on it and what's coming up for you. I think this is really important. Something that's come up a few times as you've been talking about um, the prince being initiated to mm-hmm. the king. I, I just, how does inner child work partake in that because i mean even when you're king you know as humans we're always you know uh like like the inner child like how do you incorporate that and not almost put that inner child in the back burner does that make sense yeah um yeah really great great um topic and question diana so the um the reason why princes are so horrific and damaging to our world is that they carry the core wound of inadequacy through everything that they do. They will never be enough. No matter if, no matter how many millions of followers and millions of dollars and millions of women and like whatever it is, you will still never be enough because you are still a little boy. And so how much power does a little boy have? None. They get, they get run over. They get, they have no boundaries. They cannot express themselves like they get marginalized. That's how you domesticate a little boy. Like, nope, you can't pick your nose, but I want to pick my nose. You can't pick your nose. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I, I guess I have surrendered. I have, I've, I've been, um, my kingdom has been run over by mom who's not letting me pick my nose and I've got a booger in my nose. It's horrible. Too bad. Your needs are not important. So we are inadequate. It is a core wound of men. And you don't have that healed, illuminated, or integrated, right? Which Carl Jung talks about the integration of that wound until you're initiated. And then you realize, oh, I get to use that core wound as my brand, as my motivation, as my inspiration. So I get, I'm stuck in this inadequacy story. And it's a, it's one of those, um, really, really important things for men to be able to at least take a look at that core wound and go, that's never going away. Like, look at it. Um, one of my, my co-founder of K4, named, his name is Joshua Wenner. He looks at, um, he has a great analogy of uh, trauma triage, which is the different categories of trauma. And sometimes it's a little scratch, heals, no scar. It's like, oh, so what? Somebody said I'm ugly, but I don't really care about them. So, so what? Then you've got your bigger wounds that leave a scar. And then you've got your breaks, right? That if a break is healed well, um, it, the break is stronger. The bone is stronger. If it's healed poorly, you're crippled. And then you've got your core wounds, which are amputations, which is, ooh, I got betrayed. I got bullied. I was marginalized, abused, neglected. I was poor. Anybody poor? Anybody was poor as a child? That's a core wound, okay? So that thing um, is never going away. You're never completely healing that amputation. You integrate it into your life. And that's an initiation. 
that is part of the hero's journey phase where you go into the cave you fear to enter that contains the treasure you seek and you go oh core wound i could not protect my mom from my tyrannical dad i was um you know whatever your story is back in your when you're probably um age seven or younger and because you're still living that operating system and that story it's really um coloring and altering your angle of approach on the world, your career, your relationships. So that's the work that, that we're doing. And uh, it, I, I think it's probably the solution, you know, because I, I mean, I'll just keep reiterating that, yeah, I'll own all the shadow of, of my gender, right? Now, now th thank you for going into that. I really love that. So when I think for me personally, when I think of like inner child work outside of the shadow pieces, which are, you know, you so beautifully explained um, that in c connection with the hero's journey. I, I mean, you know, as you're guiding men to be initiated into being king, as far as like the inner child piece that is like fun and playful and, you know, like I always joke, I'll just give an example. Like there's things that come up for me that I'm like, oh, my inner child loves this. It's something ridiculous and delightful and it really does satisfy my inner child. Is that something, I guess my question is, you know, as men are being initiated from prince to king, how do you not make it such a serious piece when they've, reach their own kingdom. Does that make sense? A uh, couple things. Uh, the, the, the idea of play is really important. And with, it's an interesting, very interesting evolutionary biology um, conversation. Like why do we play? Why do baby wolves play? And um, we can have a conversation about this, but since you know we're on a little bit of a time frame, I'll just give you the answer. Um, what they're doing is you're, they're practicing. Play is practice. Play is engaging with life without the consequence. That's play. So, and really, what do wolves do? Well, wolves ultimately, to survive, they kill animals with their face. That's what wolves do. When baby wolves are playing with each other, they're practicing to kill each other with their face. However, they're not killing each other, they're practicing. And so play is an evolutionary um, driver of mastery. It also has a socializing component and a bunch of other things, but it's not mystical. It's not, you know, it's, it's, there's nothing that's inherently bizarre about it. It's like, it's pretty practical. And so playfulness is um, been, you know, linked, uh, you know, clinically to learning and growth and healing. And so a lot of times when we become, um, you know, mature people, and and I'm in my fifties. Uh, we know we stop playing, and you'll notice. Then I stop learning, and I have to go. Hey, um, I I, I call my daughter and hey, can you open up this app on my phone? Because I don't know how to do it. It's like, oh, it's because you're no longer playing with the phone. Play with the phone if you need to learn how to use the phone. And and so, play is a really really important dynamic, and it's connected to. Uh, the queen house, queens play, and also lovers play. Um, and that's part of passion. 
Well, don't you think that also, as you're explaining that, which I love that explanation of uh, playfulness and the his, you know, the history of play. But something that just came up is it goes back to, you know, as far as uh, you know, learning as we're playing and you know, reminding us, you know, if we're getting too much based in our pride, and I feel like the playfulness adds into that connection of kinship as well. So I, I just I love that whole um, connection there. So before I ask, I have a couple of like questions I want to ask you personally, before we get into that, just to tie up the um, men's initiation in a bow. Um, if any of our listeners, you know, feel connected to you and your work, and I'll do links in the show notes, you are starting a new group in January. So if you have any partners or friends or family members you feel that need that extra support to be initiated, this is such a beautiful container where they can be fully supported in community and experience kinship and really become the king of their lives. So um, just thank you for explaining that. I feel like that's such a, I feel like this work is so important. I can't tell you how many um, friends and uh, I know that it's like they're the he like healer or mother to their partner. It's like you're not supposed we're not supposed to be everything to everybody, you oh, know. Yeah. So this is a really beautiful um, you know offering that you're doing out in the world. And I think it's really 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 important. Um, okay, so a couple questions that popped up. Of course, I can never read my handwriting because I'm always like I'm channeling as I'm listening. Anyways, um, so what is something that you were currently integrating for yourself oh boy uh, i had a good conversation with um my wife and this and it was actually prompted from the men's group and we we uh we use slack as and and kajabi and a couple of other platforms in a remote world to stay connected and and money's a, money's a core wound um because men are defined by what we do so i i and here I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna be uh, I'll be I'm gonna piss your your uh, oh no your people Not off again morning. here <laughs> I know here it is I'm just but that it uh, that's why we're here right um, in many ways I know this sounds this sounds terrible I actually got a little nervous saying it but in many ways women are inherently valuable and I know this speaks right into objectification uh, but it's one of those things that's kind of been written and researched and thought about in all anthropology and sociology, a particularly a young female is inherently valuable for what you are. It's like you walk out in the world and you are, I mean, the word commodity is terrible. Objectification is terrible, but you have inherent value. A young man has very little inherent value based on, um, you know, what they are, it's what they do. Like, can you throw a ball? Can you do this thing? Can, or can you make money? So for a lot of men, we know that this is this huge wound of the, if I am not powerful, if I'm not, can't play sports, if I can't fight, if I can't make money, like, oh, what am I? So there's a really interesting dynamic where um, obviously, a, a, a young woman has a tremendous uh, social standing simply by what they are, and um, and young men have very little. So there's there's not a good match when when those two genders are young, but they seem to cross at and again 
um, this is going to be inflammatory, but socially, women seem to lose their inherent social value as they age, which is a, a, you know, it's a terrible thing, particularly once they become identified as I'm, I'm young and I'm beautiful and I'm, I've, I've become addicted to that just inherent value instead of, it, you know, if, if they've gone through the process of earning their value, then of course, it's a very different conversation. It's really important. And I have a daughter, so this is a, I'm, I'm constantly pushing her to, you know, do not coast on your laurels. Like you, you get yours because you can't fall into that trap because you're going to lose it. And if you're born with a couple aces in your hand, you never learn how to play poker. Ladies, learn how to play poker. Uh, men, we have almost none. And as we age, we start to develop more social credibility as our earning increases. So there seems to be a sweet spot where those social values or um, valueification match. And usually that's where partnership happens, long-term partnership between the genders. And so kind of 35 is the current place where we see a lot of marriages or long-term partnerships happening because the social standings match at about that age. So um, I don't know if you even wanted to hear all that. No, Probably, I think a lot that, of people are like, that's infuriating. I I wasn't infuriated. I mean, I can't control what everybody else feels. That's why I always affectionately say like something that's coming up, if you're feeling a little poked, you know, like there's some healing to do in that. And what's that bringing up for you? And to explore that, I personally am not triggered by anything you're saying. I have a different viewpoint on everything. Um, You know, I feel like nothing is finite. I feel like everything is everything. Like, I feel like it all merges together. But what was interesting in you explaining that, um, is I just realized, you know, uh, a lot of looking back, you know, in my early twenties, you know, a lot of the men that I was working with, I'm, I'm looking just your explanation of the, the male initiation and all that, like they, I can see a lot of them didn't experience that. And so there was a lot of, even though I was valuable on my own, I then did whatever to be a part of their tribe to try to acclimate to seek uh, external validation at that point to uh, prove worthiness outside of myself. So it's very interesting just, mm-hmm. and I look back on it with like, you know, tender heart, like, oh, like uh, just looking at uh, the social dynamics. Cause I've worked with men uh, mostly my entire life. Like I've been often yep. the only woman. So mm-hmm. It's been interesting just to, I mean, I could totally like, I'm like, oh, self-awareness exhausted, but uh, I could definitely see looking back, like how I've done. I mean, I'd say one of my superpowers is my adaptability. Like I can really have my back pushed against the wall and I'm like, boom, 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 you know, not think about it too much. But um, thinking how at a younger age, how much I adapted to my environments in order to be accepted as part of the tribe. So that's just very interesting. So just to loop back to you personally. So you're- Money. I was getting to the money conversation for oh, me. Money. That was okay. what I integrated. Oh, yeah. Is that for um, men, that's why we launched into that, that, that weird yes, little yeah. cul-de-sac uh, side journey. It's all But connected. for men, money, is, because of that dynamic, is, is universally a core wound because our culture prizes that as a, the measure of power. And inadequacy is one of those issues. So we have a lot of stories around money being bad. 
So this is kind of an abundance conversation and it's the ability to manifest the secret, all that stuff. Um, we are, what we dwell on, we tend to act on. We, and we, we share, we talk about that reticular activating system. We see the things that we're dwelling on, but that's dictated by our, our stories. Okay. We have a narrative that defines us. And so for many people, they have a story that money's bad, right? In the same way that you go, well, men, you know, masculinity is bad. Um, uh, you know, patriarchy, bad. And so if you're saying something is bad, um, then you have automatically framed the narrative of your journey, as opposed to saying, well, money is just a measure of, of power and energy. It's really what it is. Not bad, it's not good. It's how it's utilized. And that's true for men also. Like we are powerful. I mean, women are powerful too. Um, but we're talking about men. Men are incredibly powerful. Money is incredibly powerful. How, you, how do you use that? And so for me, that's one of the things I'm working on is um, my family always viewed money as being uh, corrupt. And people who had money were obviously corrupt. And, I, and, that, and that's, a, that's a story about um, abundance that has certainly compromised um, sales and the way that I promote myself and, and a lot of those things. So that's certainly one of those things I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go into the cave and take a look at um, what that story is. Oh, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. Is there something about your journey that you wish people would know? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is probably a, a good one too. The, and, and so I grew up, you know, crippled with all sorts of inadequacy stuff that I'm, that I've been talking about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm that perfect, perfect storm of a lot of those things, you know, I'm single, like grew up with, you know, a single mom, uh, grew up with, you know, some, some poverty and lack and trauma. Like there, there, there definitely is a lot of those stories. And what I am is in, in this current state of me, is a, is a cre I've created myself. I have, I have gone through a, a bunch of phases of my life where I've got to look at my, um, my career, my physicality, my spiritual practice, my sobriety, my, and, and I, have, I have literally created new versions of myself with great regularity in the pursuit, you know, of, and, I, and I'm, I'm navigating off of this idea that I want to be as optimized, self-actualized, as much of a man in full as I can. And that, of course, is going to be changing the, as I change the narrative of what does that mean, but it's still there. I have a virtuous, heroic ideal that I'm pursuing. And so the when people currently meet me now, they're like, oh, that's him. And, and it's interesting to get different people's perspective because you, you people who are watching me right now are going, oh, well, he's that guy or he's that guy. And it's all um, created. And at some point we realize that we are the author of our story. You get to look, you get to have the, whatever body you want. You get to have whatever career you want. You get to have, whatever brand that you want. And the more intentional and conscious and aware 
then the more choices you get about the life you want to create. Choice is a function of awareness. So awareness happens first. And, and I just wanted to share everybody that my current life is evidence of my efficacy. Like the, the journey that I'm on is being manifested in the current life that I'm leading. So take a look at yourself. Like after this podcast, go look in the mirror and, you know, do I like that person? Do I respect them? Do I admire them? Do I love them? And then go, go about changing that story. I love that. So something that's come up, um, you know, when we're talking about stories and something that I've always discussed with friends, you know, just with, I feel sometimes our language is so limiting and how we love to label things. So how would you, cause even as you're explaining, thank you for going, that was so great. Like, but even talking about the stories we tell each other, even though that's how we connect and how we pass on wisdom and, you know, just even declaring what archetype you're, you know, living and breathing in, how do you, how would you balance the idea of, you know, owning where you're at and not putting a label on it. Because I think sometimes when we label ourselves, that's where we really limit ourselves within our own stories. Hmm. Give me an example. So even what you were talking about, like somebody's watching you and they're like, oh, he's this guy. Like yeah. this is him. I just feel like we're so quick, especially now, everybody wants to label things. Hmm. Um, and I just think that that is also limiting. So for example, yeah. if somebody's listening and they're like, oh, he's this kind of guy because he said this thing. And I'm like, mm -hmm. that's just like one, like, I just, I feel in general, like everybody wants to label things and then they're not satisfied with the label that they've given. And I just feel like that's interesting, mm -hmm. but yet we want to feel identified within the group. Does that make yeah. any sense? Oh yeah. That's a, that's a okay. I'm, I'm tracking super cool conversation. Um, it relates a little bit to your personal brand, right? Your identification, whatever, how you're, the role you play in the tribe. And in most cultures, there is a, uh, a, a process, indigenous cultures, where you go out on a vision quest, right? And a lot of times you're guided by elders and that you're, of course, in this, this vision quest is informed by the needs of the tribe. So then you find the role that you play that is obviously collaborative and valuable and, and plays a, um, a provides a service, a meaning purpose so that we thrive. We thrive, not me, we thrive. And so um, that is many ways no longer driving the personal brand journey. It's how do I get my needs met? And all journeys start like this. Um, all children, like the journey, the hero's journey of our life starts with, I'm hungry. I want food. So it starts with a passionate need. And the word passion means to suffer, like the passion of the Christ when he's crucified. So it starts out with an individual need, but we return home with how does my personal need or my passion serve people? And that's purpose. So passion serving people leads to purpose. Um, that's a vision quest. And we don't longer really have that. Like, unless you're going through personal growth, leadership, MBA, you know, you're, unless you're part of a rarefied journey, which is super cool, but it shouldn't happen when we're 18. Like that should happen when we're much younger 
and we're experiencing decades worth of um, what Buddhists would call illegitimate suffering. It's, this is, this is self-imposed suffering that didn't have to be here. And, and it is. So um, you, your personal brand, if you will, is not designed to please everyone. Okay. It's designed to please um, the specific people that need who you are. When this is true, as much as true as it is the finding a romantic partner, your best friends, or your clients, right? That's called blue ocean versus red ocean. Red ocean refers to uh, water that's filled by blood and feeding frenzy. And if you're diving into, you know, your career by going, I provide the best value at the lowest price, it's a race to the bottom and you are going to drown in the red ocean. Blue ocean, uh, the philosophy is to create a need that's unique. And it's, it, you, you have made your you know, uh, competitors obsolete by who you uniquely are. And you don't get to simply decide this, people. You, um, that's called spiritual bypass, is where you avoid all the, the dark, messy, dreadful shit that is in the cave. Right? That's how you find your brand, because it comes from your trauma. And uh, mythology is filled with stories of transformation through, you know, and through death. The death of old stories lead to transformation. The phoenix burns to death. What a horrible thing. You burn to death. But that's how you create the beautiful new bird. You know, Jesus is crucified. It's a horrible, one of the worst ways to die. And yet that created the resurrection, right? That, that we know. I, I love that. That really universal. Does. Yeah, I, that's so great. That's such a great mirror to what I was asking. Cause I think of, you know, just to tie it back to our listeners, like, so if you guys think about like, if there's a story you're telling yourself or a label that you're clinging to, maybe that is something that you need to take into the cave with you and really dissect mm -hmm. what that is about. And is that related to some trauma that you thought was not connected, but actually, in fact, it is. And it is part of that story um, that yeah. needs to die. Okay. So um, my, okay. Last two really quick questions. I, I really appreciate your time. So what is something about this time that you have secretly really liked? Because so many people are like, oh, mm, gloom, doom about this year. But like, what is something that you're like, I actually am like super into it. And this wouldn't have been revealed to me unless we have this type of year. Oh, gosh. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't have any issues with this year at all. Um, the, uh, the, the word for crisis in the Mandarin language consists of two characters. One of them is danger and the other is opportunity. Put them together, crisis. So every piece of adversity, every conflict, every drama, even this election right now, there's opportunity here for transcendence. I mean, it's there. Even though you can't immediately see it and it seems gloom and doom, well, that's the abyss. It always seems hard. And the idea or the purpose of this adversity is to force us to take a, a look at our stories. So we're, we're looking right now I don't know if you guys have seen the, uh, the social dilemma. Oh um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll do a link we, for everybody. It's so good. We wouldn't be talking about that except we need to be talking. The pain has driven us into the cave and now we're going, Holy cow, look what we've created. This is terrifying. It's also awesome. Right? 
Like we are, I have now in, I have the ability based on where my eyeballs go on my, my phone to manipulate the algorithm. So I could use this, just the most epic Alexandrian library we've ever had of human knowledge. And I can have a curated stream of uplifting transformational wisdom from the ancients just coming through every social media platform I have. If I'm careful, if I'm really intentional and I am utilizing, you know, this, this algorithm to transform what I'm provided, or I'm going to be destroyed by it and marginalized and we will, we will crumble into civil war and disaster. So we're, at, we're, we're always at that moment. We're a decision away from transformation or destruction. It's just that close. And, and it, so it's a really exciting time, right? danger and opportunity. And it's forcing all of us to, to look at ourselves because ultimately that monster in the cave that we fear to enter is always us. It's always us. So this, this quarantine bizarre time, um, it, you know, it's initially like the, the outside of the cave, the event horizon of the abyss is, look at all those horrible people over there making my life a misery, making me wear masks and doing all blah, 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 whatever. It's like, okay, then go in deeper. It's you. How are you responding to this? What is your role in this story? It's always been about you. And you can't hide anymore. You can't, at some point, uh, you know, this, this journey has forced us all to look inward at what's my diet. And I don't mean just our food diet, but certainly that. Like we have so much in control right now of, uh, you know, what is our exercise regimen? How am I reaching out and connecting to people? Because you certainly can. Look at us. We're having a little, a fun little conversation wherever you are on the planet earth. I'm in Los Files. Oh, Los Files. I, I am. <laughs> yeah. So this, we're, we're more connected and more access and more knowledge and more like, this is awesome. Or it's a disaster. I've been talking with a lot of friends I've, and I've been just seeing it and I see it even in friends or people that aren't seeing it for themselves is, you know, whatever timeline people thought that they were on like, oh, I'll do that down the road or in a few years, or I'll deal with that later. It's like, I feel, and when you're talking about the crisis of uh, opportunity and danger, I feel when people are stepping into the danger, it's probably for a lot that are suffering right now, it is the first time that they have had a moment to sit still and actually look at their shit. Because, you know, majority of the, this is just my opinion, a majority of the population was out at work. They're distracted. They're, you know, feast or, fe you know, they're going out to do it. So now they're finally at home and having to sit with themselves mm -hmm. and really look at how they're interacting with the world and what they want that world to look like and do they like what they had and and then facing that you know dragon and that and being in that cave of ooh I thought I liked this and now I don't and admit it so it's just such a great opportunity so what is something that you that is lighting you up right now well I think that there is certainly the opportunity when I when I look at uh, and my daughter's 14 so you know she is that person who was born into you know this our current world and so she she's surfing on the chaos and technology waves that i i drowned in and it's it's exciting to see 
um, the different version of connection. And we always say, well, the kids these days, they can't even hold a conversation. They can't like, well, but they're being introduced to topics and they're having conversations that I didn't have until my thirties or forties. And, and it's exciting. Um, like they all know what mindfulness and consciousness and, and trauma and like kids these days, they have access to such a high echelon of, of information of, of knowledge that, and they're integrating it into wisdom at a level that I will not. Oh, oh, my nephew is 18. And I, even hearing you talk about the men's initiation, he has literally like been doing this work for years on him. It's like mind blowing. I feel like he's like 18 going on 40. Yeah. Um, so that is young so, Jedi's get it yeah, boy. Get I mean, it. He's, he's really incredible. I, I feel like, uh, you guys would love it. I'm like, of course everybody loves you. Okay. So my last question is if we were to future trip into five years, what is like, what is something that you are wanting for yourself in five years or where you're wanting to be? Mm, well, I'm working on a book right now because everybody who, who plays with my my workshops or goes out and see the wolves with me or does one of my adventures where they're like, well, where do I get your book? And, I, and so I have been, um, I have been refusing the call on, on that. <gasps> Right. Um, and, we, and you and I both talked about, you know, you, we all have a call to adventure. We have something we need to go do. And then the heroes of, of all mythology always refuse the call because, well, the same reason you guys have not. You, you don't have time. You don't have money. Who are you to be successful? Blah, blah, blah. And ultimately, the big reason why we're all refusing the call is we're not afraid of failure. We're really afraid of what greatness will require from us. So, that's my book. And uh, you'll remember the, our, the quote from fate that um, it says, fate, and it's always a she, right? Um, she guides those who will, and those who won't, she drags. So I am, I'm hoping that I'm finally answering her because I don't want to be drug. I don't, you know, don't drag me, please. I'm gonna, I hear you. I'm writing the book. So um, that's, that's kind of the big project, and I'm going to have a rough draft. I'm committed to this by January 1, it's one of my big, my, one of my K4 goals. We all set 90 ooh, I was gonna day goals. Say, I was, ooh. Yeah. So is the book gonna be uh, focused on your work with K4? No, that'll be the next book. This, is, um, this book is gonna be what, uh, what we went through with the three master maps. Okay. And I believe sitting at the core of all of our stuff, all of our challenges are three big roadmaps that define our human journey. Okay, I'm just and, gonna put this, I'm totally projecting on you, but it's just like what's coming through. That is great, but literally the work you're doing with K4 and men's initiation, there's not a lot of things out there as far as resources. And I already got a vision of like you having this book and then it becoming an invitation for men to create their own groups all over the world yep. based upon that book and your practices. So. I'm like, of course you're gonna, like, thanks woman. Uh, but I was just like, that, that shit gonna blow up. That's gonna be huge uh, to have that yep. book. And then it builds community and everything. Anyways, super excited for your book. It's gonna come out sooner than five years. Oh yeah.
Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Okay, well, I just want to take a second and honor you for your time and energy, honor you for the work that you're doing, how you're showing up in the world, the invitation that you're bringing to the conversation. And I'm just super excited to have you on the podcast. And, you know, I will do a link in the show notes for any listeners that want to connect the men in their lives to you. I think this is a really great um, opportunity and a really important discussion to keep having. I feel like this is discussion that needs to be happening for men. Men cannot be left on the side as we're, we all need to be together as we are building this new world. So thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much. You're welcome. Love you lots. That's a wrap for today on the Healer Dealer Podcast. If you liked this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a five-star review and let me know what you loved about this episode and what you want to hear more of. Until then, do what feels good. Know that you are always supported and it is your birthright to have all the things you desire. I'm your healer dealer, Diana Zalecki. Thank you so much for being here. I hope to see you next time. Cheers.